0: Hello and welcome to ParamedicCast. In this episode I'll be speaking to Gary Strong and we'll be discussing the interactive career framework published by the College of Paramedics. The career framework is a fantastic resource for early career paramedics, outlining options to progress through the many exciting roles available to us at the moment. The framework also includes over 50 case studies of different paramedics. Our guest today is Gary Strong. Gary worked for the West Midlands Ambulance Service for 10 years as a paramedic before making a move towards education and training. He worked in New Zealand for four years as an education manager in Wellington and then became programme lead for a Bachelor of Science Paramedic programme. After returning to the UK he has occupied advisory roles for several universities and led the Paramedic Practitioner BSc programme at Plymouth University. Gary was appointed the National CPD Lead at the College of Paramedics in 2017. He's also recorded some fantastic podcast episodes through the Paramedic Insight podcast series. So hello Gary. And welcome to the podcast. Please, could you start by telling us a bit about the role of the College of Paramedics?
1: Yeah, thank you, Poppy, and thank you for the the introduction. We we are there for the profession. Uh, we are there to promote um, paramedics in in all that in all our capabilities, in all that we can do for the health care of the nation. there's been some interesting discussions internationally, I think, about what what really is a paramedic, what what is the role of the paramedic. But I think in all our different roles, we are there to improve the health of the communities that we serve and and, and the the patients and the service users we serve. So uh, as a college, as a professional body, our role is to somehow enable paramedics to be the best that they can be. Uh, wherever they work, whether that's in uh, clinical patient facing roles, whether it's in training and education, leadership and management, research or, or any other of the, the, the new and exciting areas that are coming along. Uh, so, And we do that in a variety of ways. We set standards for education we set uh, standards that we believe are appropriate for specialist and advanced practice um, we engage with uh, governmental bodies uh, such as the um, health education bodies for england scotland wales northern ireland uh, we we engage with the other uh, other professional bodies with employers always i think keeping at the forefront the fact that um, uh, your paramedic practice is, is about what we can What we can do to serve the community and and to do it to the best of our ability uh, in a professional way. You know, that's not word for word what it says on our website, but it's kind of uh, it's a real strong feeling about the importance of what we do. Really, we we are an engine of support for the profession.
0: So what I'm most interested in talking to you today about is the College of Paramedics Interactive Career Framework. So could you just give us a quick overview of it and why the College of Paramedics published it in the first place?
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. It's been it's been around a few years now and I suppose the idea of it I suppose a little bit of prehistory is probably helpful. We've been publishing curriculum guidance for uh, undergraduate paramedic programs uh, since the the mid two thousands, and that uh, is probably a key document uh, that's been undergone. Uh, I think it's in its sixth edition now. But as the more we we worked on this document, we realised that our graduate paramedic profession was was doing new and exciting things, and so we we uh, then published a post registration career framework and some uh, post Registration curriculum guidance. In amongst preparing the guidance, I think we felt it was important to have some concrete examples of what paramedics are doing. Uh, And what the career framework, the the interactive career framework, has become, I think, is a great place to showcase uh, the different roles and the different possibilities for paramedics wherever you work in in the sort of pillars of clinic of, of, of professional practice.
0: Was there anything similar to this when you started working at West Midlands?
1: Gosh, no. Um, no, this, I, um, so I, I started um, in the late 80s, early 90s uh, as a young ambulance man, as was my job title in those days. There were ambulance women as well, but there weren't many. And yeah, paramedic was a relatively new thing, uh, and some organisations didn't even like using the word paramedic, but um, I did my paramedic course in 1992, and uh, I suppose I was always uh, fairly ambitious and, 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 and kind of looking for the next thing. So not long after my paramedic course, I became um, leading ambulance person, and then I had a clinical supervisor role, and uh, I had a secondment to, to working on a motorcycle for a couple of years, which was brilliant. But it's, it was always within the certain, uh, I guess, constraints of what ambulance employment was about at the time. And essentially, if you were ambitious, uh, you could go one of three ways. You could um, go and work in the, the control room, um, what we now call the clinical hub in and, and, and lots of areas. You could uh, get into training and education or you could get into management. There wasn't much else. Um, if you loved the, the patient-facing role, uh, you were kind of stuck with being a paramedic on the road uh, as it was.
0: I know we'll get into a bit more detail about this later, but when you started out, with any were there any options about research and development? Uh,
1: you'd have had to look hard to find them, I think. Um, clinic, clinical audit was um, started to come online. Uh, uh, the nineteen nineties were the time I think when, uh, as as a, I was going to say, as, as, as a profession, we, we were we weren't a regulated profession then, but we were still a profession. Uh, we became much more aware of evidence based medicine.
0: So should we start by talking a bit more in depth about the different pathways outlined in the career framework? If you could give us an overview of what each of them involve and the types of paramedic that would suit each role. So perhaps you can start with clinical practice.
1: Yeah, well, I think even today when you graduate, you know, 99% of us are going to start in clinical practice and, and, and rightly so. Um, you know that's what you spend your your time at university to get ready for you spend your time on placement to get ready for i think there are perhaps a small number of people who might go straight in, into research or, or management development but um know, yeah, mostly we're, we're there for the patient that's what we do and it is it, what attracted us to the role in the first place so so staying with clinical practice i think what the career framework offers is a pathway or or, or more appropriately pathways now to take your clinical practice in different directions where you can enhance your knowledge, your level of care, uh, your uh, career, um, and, and with, a, with a bit of luck, your salary as well. It doesn't always follow, but uh, you know, <laughs> always nice to have. Um, broadly speaking, we at the time we put the framework together, it, it made sense. and I think it still does to talk about um, you a, a generalist paramedic, a specialist paramedic, an advanced paramedic, right up to the level of, of consultant. The world's moved on a little bit since then. Advanced practice has been um, embedded in all the health professions, uh, to be fair. So, so, for example, when we when we first did um, the interactive career framework, uh, I think there were very few paramedics working in uh, advanced clinical practitioner roles in A&E, for example. Well, there are some in, in the framework. Um, there are many more now. Um, and that's just one example of the direction of travel you can take. Yeah, within the clinical practice role, broadly speaking, you can. When you want to specialise, you can either aim for primary and urgent care, or advanced and critical care. They're not mutually exclusive, but um, I think these days it would be it will be very hard to um, to specialise in both. Um, I, uh, you, you start as a, as a paramedic and uh, you spend your first few years of registration, uh, probably working for an ambulance service. Most people will. We, we think that's the right way to go. We think that's where you, you really hone your skills of managing an undifferentiated caseload of, of being able to prepare for the unexpected. I think that's in the DNA of a paramedic, really, that we are happy to not know what's around the next quarter and kind of prepare for that. Um, And that that makes us very valuable to to the whole of the health service. So so sticking with that clinical pillar, uh, there are... Uh, so many opportunities now either to stay within the ambulance world or or to move into primary care. A relatively recent phenomenon is, is being employed directly. For example, by an Air Ambulance Charity as a critical care paramedic. There are uh, options outside the NHS within private health care as well. This is uh, it's probably the biggest change you were asking me about oh, yeah, when I first trained in the 1990s. The difference now is that you can work at a very high level and still spend most of your time with patients if you want to. And that's, that's the clinical pillar. Uh, so that, that, that's just one of them.
0: So I was going to ask you, actually, so day to day, how do you think the work of a specialist paramedic would differ from that of a, of a paramedic who's just recently left university? Is it a case of additional skills, additional drugs that they can use?
1: We need to be very careful with skills. There was a time when we kind of almost defined ourselves by skills. You know, I, I, I could defibrillate, I could intubate, I could use a range of drugs. I think now that... You, Far more important is the the level of of knowledge and experience and the quality of patient assessment that you can deliver. So let's stay with with specialist paramedic at the moment because um, some of your listeners will know that during the the early 2000s, there was was kind of a great experiment with this role that was called the emergency care practitioner. Uh, It was a forerunner, of specialist paramedic really, but it was open to um, nurses and other professionals as well. I think what was noticed at the time was that the workload of the ambulance-based paramedic was more and more incorporating uh, the kind of patients that would normally be seen in primary care, normally seen by the GP or, or at a, a minor injuries unit or, or, or um, you know a minor treatment centre, but this is coming more and more into the ambulance world. And if we just carried on taking everybody to hospital, it, it wasn't going to work. Specialist skills were introduced, and, and it was difficult to steer people away from the idea that you know if you can. Uh, catheterize and, and take bloods and uh, and you know uh, read an x-ray, then those are your extra skills. Yes, they are very useful like extra skills, but actually the most important thing that a specialist paramedic learns, I think, is a, is a better quality of, of patient assessment, of diagnostic clinical reasoning that, that helps you to figure out the probability of what a patient's um, underlying need is and how to manage it. I think there was a time... And some, some paramedics still do this and, and we need to steer away from it. There's a time when we kind of turned up at a patient and said, OK, uh, these are your signs and symptoms. What do my guidelines say that I can do? And I think we have to flip that on its head and say, I've turned up at a patient. What does this patient need? Um, so you, you, your comprehensive history taking and information gathering and, and your all, all your clinical assessment tells you something about the needs of the patient. Then your next question is, can I provide it now? Or do I need someone else to provide it within the healthcare system? Can it be provided in the community? Does it? Can it only be provided at hospital? It's that, it's that level of clinical reasoning that I think differentiates a specialist paramedic. Now, of course, we've had specialist paramedics for a few years now. Uh, and there's always this trickle down of learning that, that things that you will be and, and your listeners will be learning in, in your, um, your degree programs now are things that once upon a time we only would have taught at a specialist level. So the boundaries become a little bit blurred. It, it's about building on what you've done in your first couple of years as a paramedic, so that you, 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 the, the particular skills that you bring to that patient situation can can bring some really positive resolutions for the patient that perhaps you couldn't before.
0: And is that do you feel that that's utilised by the ambulance service in the way that they in the jobs that they allocate to specialist paramedics? Are they the slightly more complex jobs that need a bit more clinical reasoning, or not necessarily?
1: I think that was always the intention. It it was, it's difficult to be honest, because the dispatch systems that we use are kind of, uh, that's not inherently built into them. In an ideal world, the right kind of incident should be allocated to the right kind of paramedic. Uh, And, you know, it does happen. It just doesn't happen often enough yet, I think. So
0: shall we move on to leadership and management?
1: Yes, yes, by all means. Obviously, it's always been available. You know, ever since there's been ambulance services, there's been a chance to, to become a manager. And uh that, that's a really interesting um line of development to take because when you take your first step into management, you suddenly have to make decisions regarding people who were formerly your not formally they still are your friends and colleagues um but you take a little step up the hierarchy uh, and life be- and it's probably the hardest step actually in in my day it was becoming a leading ambulance person uh, now uh, where i live in the world they call them operational officers you know other organizations call them operational managers it doesn't matter what the title is it's that first step from being ordinary joe bog standard paramedic I shouldn't say ordinary because we're all extraordinary, uh, but uh, you, know, we, you suddenly take that step and you know, you're having to make decisions about uh, rotors and sickness absences and all and that kind of stuff. And um, it, it's a step away from the, the stuff you were first really good at. That's something that I think we've been trying to address for a long, long time. So, And it happens in every walk of life. It's not just in paramedic or even just in healthcare, that when you get really good at something you're quite often promoted to a different role where you have to learn a whole new set of skills. And and that's definitely the case with leadership and management. All paramedics learn leadership skills. You walk into an incident, you look for a resolution, you learn how to work with people, how to get the best out of people, Um, whether that's three people in a road traffic collision or um, a a confused uh, older person who's um, probably on too many medications and needs a medication review. You're learning a particular kind of problem solving leadership skills. I think paramedics are very, very good at that. What we're not so good at, and where we need our, our own personal professional development, is the long term planning management leadership skills, the, the skills that enable us to look at what the service needs. Um, in the next six months in the next two years in the next 10 to 15 years we are now seeing a lot more paramedics in those leadership roles but i think there's a bit of a trend that a lot of us gravitate towards the educational and clinical roles because that's where we're most comfortable and in the more general management roles i think that there's still a perhaps a shortage of, of really good quality paramedics who know how to uh, to, to lead uh, you know large numbers of staff uh, from the front, it, it's important, and uh, there you will find people um, in the career framework uh, who have uh, you uh, trodden that role and gone right up to uh, director role. And probably the person I know best, and he won't mind me mentioning by name, is Andy Swinburne, who I think when we listed him was associate director of Paramedicine with us. I think he's now director of Paramedicine. He certainly uh, recently acquired a new post, but Andy is one of these people who's just worked incredibly hard to understand, um, initially as a paramedic, the needs of the patient, but then the needs of an organisation giving that care to the patient. Uh, And uh, I think you're you're working in Wales. It's it's, it's slightly different to to working in um, England or Scotland. And uh, I think the organisations had a lot of free freedom to sort of redesign patient care. So at that real senior level of leadership and management, um, That's where we need paramedics who who can grasp the complexities of an organization giving effective and timely care it's been said many times the right care to the right patient at the right time that that's really what we're about so i think that i i would i would love to see more graduates choosing that pathway and there are you know there are opportunities for leadership and management qualification that can go alongside your 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 clinical practice yes you've got to go the extra mile to study those qualifications but i'd, I'd love to see more people moving up that particular ladder with, with an eye on the quality of care for the patient the Whole time
0: what type of personality do you think would suit those roles
1: uh, you've got to be very resilient it's a, it's a it's a hard uh, world in terms of organizational targets and demand that, that you're moving into you don't need to be a paramedic to know about demand at the moment you only have to watch the news to, to know how it, it drives everything you have to be the kind of person who, who can take time to step aside and think through the issues and not just react all the time. And I suppose that's where I think, to some extent in the past, um, management in the ambulance paramedic world has suffered a little bit because we haven't given people the, the the right level of management leadership education so they've used the reactive skills that they learned um in their first few years on the road uh, to, and, and and you know organizations if you're not careful will lurch from one crisis to the next we're very good at crisis management that's what we do we want to get beyond crisis management and uh create a you know a, a viable future for our, our patients and, and the people who work for our organization so i think that The quality of being able to step aside from the instant reaction and to think carefully through the issues and and to plan more than to react is what needs to come through.
0: And in doing that, in, in climbing that leadership ladder, are you taking a step away from patient facing roles?
1: This is a hard one, actually. Uh, which, which, whatever career path you take, if it's not the clinical practice one, it's going to move you away from being patient facing. And different people address this in different ways. There's a lot to be said for keeping up clinical practice as much as you can, doing a couple of shifts a month. You know, it it, it it's brilliant for your own um, credibility with staff, for your uh, your own engagement with the needs of patient care, but. Increasingly, I think we all, paramedics, we we tend to act like we're superhuman sometimes and we're not. I have no problem. And actually the HCPC has no problem if you devote yourself 100% to leadership and management. So you're no longer patient-facing. Your service users, to a large extent, become your staff and your colleagues then. But you are supporting and creating a great place to work, hopefully, for those service users so that they can create great care, for the real service users, the patients.
0: Absolutely. And so is there anything else you'd like to add or should we discuss the education route?
1: Yeah, it's, it's the one I, I chose myself. I don't mind chatting a little bit about my own pathway but long before the, the College of Paramedics Career Framework was thought of. I always thought education and training would be a good place to be, even in my days as a trainee sitting in training school, uh, there was something about the learning environment that, that appealed to me um, you know, about being able to uh, take on new knowledge and, and and pass it on to others. And, uh, you know, as, as I grew in experience as a paramedic, I enjoyed doing it. So when the opportunity arose, um, that that's the pathway I took. And interestingly, um uh, what, what happened to me and, and another colleague was we had done the uh old uh training qualifications that i mentioned the uh, instructional methods and instructor qualifying but after doing those courses i thought that's actually more to education than this this is a, this was it was quite a um, a narrow uh in, in many ways behaviorist view of, of, of tra- task focused probably appropriate to the old days of ambulance care less appropriate to the new days of of, of uh, more deeper critical Uh, clinical decision making Uh, so um, uh, my my colleague and I went off and did a a PG cert in in education and then later on I did a, a PG dip and a master's in education you know I've done those as as the paramedic world has embraced higher education and realized that in order to use the skills we've been um, uh, accorded, and in order to make wise and sensible decisions in, in patient care as well as in leadership, management, education, everything else, we we do we we, we need a minimum degree level uh, of, of education as, as a platform to do that. Uh, what I would say now is that probably, and we list practice educator as the first role in education. I think it's the most important one. Actually, the person you spend time with in your early years as a a student and then as a newly qualified or newly registered paramedic is going to be hugely influenced over uh, the future direction of your career, of your own personal confidence, how you build your competence. And, And one thing we've not done as well as we should do is to realize that that paramedic in that role is an educator and needs a whole new set of skills alongside their clinical skills. We're getting better at it, but uh, at the college, we, we would love to see And something we're working on actually is a national practice education qualification that every practice educator undertakes um, so that they can understand how to get the best out of their students or the paramedic of their preceptoring. And one of the things I love about education is you learn life skills you learn how to get the best out of people you you learn about how people learn about what motivates them about what demotivates them uh, and uh, you you learn a lot about your own abilities and you extend your own abilities in, in the process so you know, I would say taking that step and being a practice educator, for some, that's enough. They'd still rather be in a, in a clinical role where they do a bit of education. For others, it's, it's the first step on, on a pathway that can lead, uh, again, in a number of directions now. If you're working for an ambulance trust, they all have uh, their own uh, education departments with their own uh, structures and, and uh, ways of, of developing uh, employees. Taking a step over into the university world is a different challenge altogether. And a quite a hard one, I think. It, 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 it's a very rewarding uh, role, but it's you're moving into university lecturing is, is a tough gig these days as well. Because uh, if I could caricature it, you go from working for an ambulance service where most of your working day you're told what to go and where to do by somebody else. And then then you walk into university and somebody says, well, there's your desk, there's your workload, off you go. Uh, uh, And it's quite scary at first. And it's one of the things I'd love us to do more uh, as the College of Paramedics is is to be able to support some early career lecturers building their, their, their way through the academic world because they again will be hugely influential on, on, on student paramedics this podcast is aimed at students and, and if you're listening you know spare a thought for your lecturers because they'll spend the day uh, teaching you or doing tutorials with you uh, uh, and they'll spend the evening preparing uh, lectures for for future occasions and they uh, they you know, they're pulled in many different directions at once when they're, they, they're actually the, the real aim is to get the best out of you you know it's a role I've done it's a role I loved as a role I would happily go back to actually I don't uh, I I kind of miss that interaction with with students on on a day-to-day basis but uh, it's a challenging role
0: I can imagine so yeah especially considering how much the role is expanding these educators have to be prepared you know to teach paramedics who want to go into all these different roles is a huge weight of responsibility isn't it
1: it is a huge weight of responsibility, but I think there, there, there is a key that it, it, it can, in a way, un, un, unlocks your uh, understanding of your own career. Or it, it did for me anyway, is a realisation that there is no way I can ever know everything. Very simple. <laughs> you know. Um, there was a time when all training was done within ambulance services. I think there was a sense in which uh, staff turned up on a course and expected information to be downloaded, and that was training. It's a caricature, but it's probably the difference between training and education, because 20 years on from becoming a regulated profession, yeah, we know that, that learning doesn't work like that. And actually, you only learn the things you really want to learn. And the role of an educator is to facilitate learning. So, know, yeah, that's not necessarily standing up, giving a lecture or demonstrating a skill. That's creating whatever situation enables you uh, to, to acquire the knowledge that you need. In the classroom, in a class in front of you know, 50-odd students, I accept that they've all got Google at their fingertips. In principle, they know way more than I do. But actually, I have developed the skills that can kind of corral that knowledge and, and guide them in the right direction, so that they can they can explore the learning and 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 you know, construct it within their own educational pathway. Because uh, yeah, there's always somebody who will will say, "Oh, but it, but but Gary, it says here dot dot dot." And say, "Okay, well that's very that's very interesting. Let's come back to that uh, because you know." You know the, the role of an educator is to is to make learning happen. I haven't gone further up, but uh, yeah, we we've got examples of senior lecturers, of professors, of people who've really pushed their way forward in education. It's great to have paramedics at that level because I think uh, we are missing a little bit at the senior levels in the universities. A lot of decisions about. the life of students are made at a level far above the paramedics who work as a senior lecturer as a program lead, and their hands are tied to some extent and i want to see paramedics who are deans of faculty uh, and and maybe even higher within universities who who, who really understand the paramedic world and will shout up for us and and it's coming Um, yeah we've we've got some great uh folk working in the 40 plus universities around the uk promoting paramedic practice so uh, yeah, let's do what we can
0: to support them in their careers as well. it's very interesting hearing about it and hearing your views on it because obviously it's a it's a passionate topic for you. And mm. I know that what you've said will resonate with a lot of students who have their practice educators. And um, as you say, it's hugely influential for your practice. So I guess that brings us on to our last category, which really goes hand in hand with education, which is research and development. And I suppose just going on what you said earlier, this is probably the newest pathway.
1: Yeah, in many ways, the most exciting role, I think. Uh, And people will be surprised I say that because research involves an awful lot of time sitting at a desk. Research begins with simple questions. And I often think um, uh, undergraduate students ask the best questions why do we do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? What's the reasoning behind that? I'll I'll give you an example. Um, When when I was um, teaching at Plymouth, uh, we ran. an interprofessional uh, couple of research modules. So the students in in second year uh, as undergraduates, they would be in in an interprofessional class and they get together in their profession specific group and design a research question. In the third year, they uh, would have to put that little project into practice, get ethical approval from the faculty, but they came up with some really good questions. And one of the ones I particularly liked was if a patient is having an acute coronary syndrome, especially an MI, is it better to carry them to the ambulance or walk them? Now, it, it, in a way, that question is unanswerable. If you think about the research study, you would have to design to get an answer to that. It, 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 um, chances of getting ethical approval and chances of designing something that's reliable are, are really quite tough. But in a simple little level, it's a very important question because uh, you, you talk to... Um, uh, you know, 10 different paramedics, you'll probably get at least five different answers. Um, uh, and so they designed this very simple study where they measured heart rate and blood pressure of people who were walking down a set of uh, stairs and people who were carried down a set of stairs. Uh, do you know? I honestly can't remember what the results were, but I loved the question. I love their thinking about research methodology. There were the beginnings of the inquiry mind that the researcher needs. Uh, you know, there's one thing you need is, is, is a, and you have a research background yourself, don't you? So it's to ask a really good question and to frame that question. They know how to pursue it, uh, it first in the literature and then in an experiment of some sort. So that's why I kind of think it's, it's the most exciting pathway in many ways. I'm delighted. Uh, one of the things the UK's done really well actually is to employ research paramedics in ambulance trusts. I took a friend of mine, um, I didn't take her, we just happened to be at the same uh, conference overseas uh, and introduced her to, to a small educational group as a research paramedic. And the, the response was like, wow, your ambulance service employees a research paramedic? So, you know, um, top marks to, to the UK for that one. And we have sort of, uh, you know, fantastic research going on in so many different fields at the moment. Uh, clinical research, some of them are education research, some of them are uh, some professional standards type research. There are so many unanswered questions about paramedic practice what we're doing of course is building our own evidence base uh, and uh, you know we 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 don't do it alone uh, some of the best research is, is interprofessional uh, but we do see changes in practice um, as a result of research i mean a really good example is um, uh, use of, of um, hard backboards and, and stiff cervical collars, uh, you know, which was in you know, my day in the 1990s. That was a mantra for anybody um, you know, who uh, we used to kind of risk assess that there was a poss- even a remote possibility of spinal injury. Uh, you tied them to a hard board and stuck a, a collar around the neck that said they couldn't move. And, and uh, I remember feeling discomfort at the time because of the discomfort we were causing to our patients. Um, we've now got evidence to say that um, it's not really a good thing, um, except in exceptional circumstances, there are better ways for mobilising, much better. Just one clinical example of why research is so important. Uh, there are plenty of others. The opportunities are there, to be honest. If you're interested in research and don't know where to start, there's plenty of, of online uh, resources you can get in touch with the college and ask us we'll point you in the right direction get to know your local research paramedic talk to researchers in your university uh, start asking the questions but um i, I think it's 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 critical uh, and it's great to see it growing
0: yeah, actually, you have sort of answered my question already, but I was going to ask you how how would a paramedic get their foot on the ladder in research if that's what they're interested in? Is it something that they can do alongside their practice? Are there opportunities to do it sort of part time or on a voluntary basis?
1: I, I would say if you work for an ambulance service, talk to your research and audit department in the area of the country I live in the southwest. They've got, they've got a fabulous research and audit department. And if you're uh, willing to help out with some of the, the questions that they're pursuing, Yes, you know, you have to um, put in a bit of extra time and you might have to put in some, some unpaid work to do this, but it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's a way to learn what's possible. Um, I, would, I would say scour some of the websites as well, start to get to know your way around the um, you know, health research authority of the National Institute for Health Research. Quite rightly, it's a very regulated area of practice. Yeah, there's a lot you can do from the comfort of your own home to, to familiarise yourself with the principles of good research. On the uh, e-learning for healthcare site, there's some, some good uh, basic stuff about you know, um, literature searching and uh, uh, developing your skills. And I think I think we're, we're about to work on developing some new modules around that as well.
0: Yeah. And are there, are there guidelines anywhere for early career paramedics looking to publish their research in journals?
1: You really have to go to the individual journal. Yeah, there are two journals aimed at paramedics in the UK. There's uh, the British Paramedic Journal, which is um, owned and run by the College of Paramedics, tends to be looking particularly for for uh, original research and, and that sort of higher uh, level of, of paper. But um, the Journal of Paramedic Practice, I think, also fulfills an important function, because if you want to write, let's say you haven't done a systematic review, but you've read a lot of literature on a certain topic and you're passionate about it, you can put something forward to, to, to the JPP and, and they'll consider it. Equally, don't limit yourself to, to the paramedic journals. There, there are plenty of, of, of health journals, depending on what it is you want to write about whether it's you know uh, education or, or, or clinical or, or whatever it is if you're stuck you can always um, use the college of paramedics inquiry line and say i've got something i don't know what to do with it um, yeah we'll try and point you in the right direction
0: and do you know anything about sources of funding that might be available to paramedics who have a sort of burning research question that they want to answer
1: depends on the question and it depends on funding that's available at the moment. So I, I also work uh, part-time still for, for um, a university and, and they're regularly sending around information about sources of funding. They're not usually for projects that are that um, directly related to paramedic practice. So... Um, I have to confess, I'm I'm definitely not the expert on this, and I'd I'd probably want to pull Julia in or or one of her colleagues and and say uh, where to start. But I I think there are untapped sources out there. I'll give you an example. um, It's not clinical, but it affects clinical. One of the things that we're we're working hard on in in paramedic and ambulance world is to improve representation from um, a diversity perspective for people with protected characteristics under the Equality Act and uh, to appeal to you know, people whether they um people with disabilities people from uh, non-white backgrounds there's very little research around why we're so um lacking I guess in representation from these groups of people and, and I, this I haven't looked into it but I have a hunch there may well be some some sources of funding for for uh, research out there if that um, interests you for example th- th- there are probably people on our diversity steering group who could help point you in the right direction with that as well. If it's specifically clinical research you want to do then I think you really need to be looking at National Institute for Health Research but also you know, again talking to your research and audit department and your research paramedics so they're, they're a very friendly bunch um, and then the various um, social media pages as well. You can contact people quite easily through Twitter and, and Facebook. Sometimes to say okay, I've got some research questions. I'm keen to get started. I'm keen to get some funding. Can you can you offer some advice? I guess most of my work with research paramedics has been asking them to speak at CPD events, and they've all been great. They've been really good.
0: And so, and what about the development side of things?
1: That's an important one because de- It's such a broad term, isn't it? Development can be anything from improving a clinical guideline. Um, or even improving the layout of an ambulance, for example, through to improving an entire service. A little bit of time that I work for the university at, at the moment I, I get to um, supervise the odd master student who uh, and, and very often they're doing a kind of service development review rather than a full-blown research paper so it's um, you know uh, we put this project into practice in my hospital or, or in my ambulance trust we want to review whether it worked how it worked what was the impact on the staff what was the impact on the patients should we keep doing it how do we make it better that's really important because nothing nothing stands still you know if you don't do developmental work you, you end up doing the same thing because you've always done it uh, and so one that i am um, somebody i'm working with at the moment is is, is looking at a uh, patient safety and human factors course and how effective it has been within her particular trust it's a, a, a service development study and, and it gives it gives the organisation the opportunity to say you know okay we invested a lot of time and money in this did it work did it have an effect on our staff? Did it have an effect on our patients? Uh, without, you know, so, it's, so it doesn't have to be you know, fantastically original research. You know, it, it, there are key questions to be asked wherever you work to, to improve what you do.
0: Great. So I think you've given us a really good overview of all the four different sort of quadrants of the Interactive Career Framework. Is there anything that you'd like to add?
1: just a couple of things i think the first thing is is please do go to the college of paramedics website and and have a look at uh, the interactive career framework what i haven't done really is talk about the individual stories uh, they they are the framework they are people who have kindly shared their paramedic career development stories with us uh, and enabled us to create a, a great sort of um almost like an advertisement i think for paramedic careers as uh, some some great people doing great things out there so um
0: and you're
1: in um, there as well, aren't you, Gary? I am. Yes, I better check that whatever it is up to date. Things things move fast. Uh, but uh, I, I, and actually talking about it, today, that's uh, another thing is we do intend to um, review the way we do this over the next year or so. I think um, I think it's totally included some students. Uh, you know, um, they, what what got you into uh, uh, studying to become a paramedic in the first place, and, and why that was important to you, where you hope to take it. The, the only other thing I wanted to say about the, um, the career framework, really, is that there are there are some opportunities that that um, are perhaps a little bit left field and, and don't necessarily sit easily with it. And I'm thinking of a couple of biorendics I've spoken to in the last couple of years who are getting into commissioning. Um, uh, commissioning is an area I, I really don't fully understand, but in short, it's how how we pay for our services, how the government decides to allocate money uh, to uh, the NHS. Uh, and it's it's really important because it, you certain standards and, and targets and goals are expected of organizations and i think questions need to be asked as to whether they are the right standards and the right goals for for good quality patient care so i'm hoping that that um i suppose it fits Kind of into leadership and management, but it would be great to see some, some paramedics um uh, with with the right kind of mind. To say, okay, I want to I, I want to pursue this and understand this because it affects the way we all work. Uh, just one example. I think there are one or two others as well that where the the the, the um the, the career framework is almost bursting its bounds with with uh, with even even more opportunities.
0: Great, and um, I think you've pretty much answered the questions I'm about to ask you. They were just general ideas. So firstly, I was going to ask, how do paramedics access these pathways? But I suppose just from what you said, it's a mixture of looking for job opportunities and also asking the people who are already in those pathways for their advice. And again, just kind of doing a bit of research off your own back. Is there anything else you'd advise for, for sort of early career paramedics?
1: I think talking to people is, is is really important. Actually, we live in this very digital world these days. If you get the chance to have a good old fashioned telephone chat or a cup of coffee with somebody using a career role that uh, uh, that you you think is really important, then then do it. You know, most people are, are pretty receptive uh, to, to to doing that. Think about what suits you uh, as a person. Really, I think um, more and more students are coming to paramedic practice with career ambitions we're not quite perhaps at the level of medical students a lot of medical students will know from day one that they want to be a cardiologist or they want to be a general practitioner or a surgeon whatever it is I, I don't think we'll ever be quite like that but think about what uh, will will keep you motivated and, and you know thankfully there's there's a majority that what keeps you keeps people motivated is still seeing patients we'd be a bit stuck if that didn't happen uh, but you know how would you how would you like to do that and and it's interesting chatting one of the the privileges of this role is you get to chat to people in all sorts of different roles and I've chatted to I I think of one person in particular who who worked as a paramedic um worked as a specialist paramedic worked in a GP practice went into an emergency department and went back to a GP practice because he decided that sort of longer term care was what suited his personality and, and his way of working now that's just one example but um yeah yeah think think about um where where you would like to be in terms of, of of the things that you the things that fulfill you at work uh, you know I've, I've always spent thought you, you know we spend most of our waking life at work let's let's do something that that, that we enjoy and that, that makes us feel fulfilled that's what attracts so many people to paramedic practice in the first place I think
0: absolutely and my second question was that are these career pathways standardized across different ambulance trusts so do you know if similar opportunities are available to paramedics across the UK and Scotland, Northern Ireland, or is there some variation?
1: There is variation, and I think this this relates to understanding the role of the College of Paramedics because we advise and recommend we we can't mandate. so we, when we first developed the the, the post registration uh, career pathway, uh, we were putting it out there and saying, "This is what this is this is a structure in which we think sets the right standards for uh, for the right um, levels of of uh, operation as a paramedic." And, most ambulance services and and many non ambulance service providers have taken this on board. Um, as have one or two other professions. Actually looked at the diagram and thought we like that and we'll we'll use that for our profession. So broadly speaking, you know those, those sort of levels of practice apply. But you know employers can use whatever job titles they like, uh, and uh, you know they will. They were uh, there are different names for different things in different trusts. So uh, you know if you're tied to a particular geographical area then it's worth getting to know uh the, the names of the roles in in that area if you're not tied uh, you know be prepared for a specialist paramedic um in one organization to be called a paramedic practitioner in another organization it's kind of the same thing it's just different terminology
0: great and my last question is the career framework likely to change in future
1: I think it's going, to, it, it's going to grow. I mean, I, I did say to you, I'd like it to become perhaps a little bit more uh, interactive, a little bit more varied in the kind of media that it uses. It's just text and pictures at the moment. But obviously that yeah, the, the, that takes a little bit of uh, legwork behind the scenes to, to plan and design and develop it. But it needs to grow. It needs uh, more varied uh, contributors. It, it probably reflects for, uh, the fact that uh, we're as a profession, we're not terribly good yet at at, um, employing uh, and promoting people with protected characteristics for example Uh, we we need more variety we need more diversity in there you know I would say to anybody listening um, if you've got a story to tell and you're keen to be in there get in touch if you have a colleague uh, who's keen to be in there get in touch we're not rewriting it at the moment but we will do at some point
0: fantastic is there anything you'd like to add
1: Thank you for asking me some really good questions Poppy and uh, and uh, it's great to have the opportunity to showcase well, actually really the work of other people the work of of all the paramedics out there who are pursuing these um, interesting and varied career options. And I hope uh, your your listeners are prompted to uh, to go and have a look, have a read and, and get inspired.
0: Thank you so much for talking to me Gary. And I think, as you have said to me before, it's a really exciting and inspiring time to be a paramedic.
1: It is, yeah. If I could just finish with a a little story, if if I'm not overrunning too much, because I did some work two or three years ago on on a project with a paramedic who was literally about to retire. uh, A lovely chap. And he said to me, "Do you know, the only thing I regret, he said, it's a regret that I'm not starting again now. It looks so exciting now. Uh, it's, It's a great thought to finish with, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Thank you. This podcast is supported by Class Professional Publishing and sponsored by World Extreme Medicine.